welcome to Books Are Scary, a horror literature podcast. My name's Allie. I'm Emmy. And today we are talking about a poem by Burley Vang called To Live in the Zombie Apocalypse. So to get us started, Em is going to go ahead and do a little author's bio to tell us about our poet. Cool. So Burley Vang is a Southeast Asian poet born in California. He's known for his book of poems, The Dead I Know, Incantation for Rebirth. And as Goodreads.com describes it, his, po- his poetry is a powerful testament to the human spirit in a harsh time, in times of war and struggle. And what I really like about this author specifically is that he was able to make a series of horror poems where most of the poets that we're talking about kind of do one or two and then is done with it. And I like that Vang is truly committed to the horror literature. I mean, he has other stuff, but that's one of his prominent subjects in this book. Mm-hmm. And he's also the founder of the Hmong American Writers Circle, which supports Asian American writers. He's a screenwriter. And in 2011, he and his brother were awarded the Nicole Fellowship in Screenwriting from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And his first feature film was called Bedeviled, which the summary was terror strikes when five teens download a malevolent app that uses their deepest, darkest fears to torment them. And he still lives in California with a wife and two kids. That's awesome. We love to see it. We love love our living poets. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's so nice to talk about old writers, but also the modern writers. I love that we get to shine a light on them. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, to keep going, Em, would you mind actually reading out that poem? Yeah, definitely. And just to let y'all know, I'm going to take pauses at the line breaks because that's something we're going to cover towards the end of the episode. All right. To live in the zombie apocalypse. The moon will shine for God, knows how long, as if it still matters, as if someone is trying to recall a dream, believe the brain is a cage of light and rage when it shuts off, something else switches on. There's no better reason than now to lock the doors, the windows, turn off the sprinklers and porch light, save the books for fire in darkness. We learn to read what moves along the horizon, across the periphery of a gun scope, the flicker of shadows, the rustling of trash in the body of cities long emptied. Not a soul lives in this house and this house and this house. Go on, stiffen, the heart quicken, the blood to live. In a world of flesh and teeth, you must learn to kill what you love and love what can die. Thank you for reading that. I felt so angsty. (laughs) While you were reading, Huckle put his paw on my leg as Uh. if to support me. Oh, that was so good. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Well, to segue from that, um, I guess a question to hit us off is what is the story about? So I feel like the story shifts in three spots. Mm -hmm. First, it's kind of the description of this kind of dark setting. And I don't get the feeling of anything being wrong except for it being dark. But then it gets into this kind of hypothetical state where it talks about dreams and talks about the body and kind of alludes to death and then it goes into kind of the survivor mode and that's whenever the speaker comes in about five or six stanzas down 
And then after that, the speaker starts directly talking to the reader and mm -hmm. kind of give it them tips on how to survive. Mm -hmm. And obviously based on the title, we're supposed to be in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And I don't think that this was meant to be like a metaphorical zombie apocalypse. I think that this is just about zombies. We're all in a zombie <laughs> apocalypse. <laughs> like metaphorically, pardon me, metaphysically, I am a zombie. <laughs> like I dissociate so quick. <laughs> it's like that one episode of Phineas and Ferb where um oh are you making Harry, the Disney <laughs> references now it's me this time um Harry the platypus controls Dr. Doofenshmirtz and he like <laughs> DJs at his daughter's party and the song is there's a platypus controlling me but it's the, <laughs> the zombie apocalypse is controlling I tried I want to move on from I, that I think we should without that any in. discussion I think that's <laughs> A version. <laughs> I think we should pretend that never happened, but maybe keep it in. Okay. But also pretend it never happened as we move forward. So, <laughs> um, so what are you thinking about what the story is about? Like, do you agree? Do you disagree? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I see it as sort of a how-to guide for people who may be in a zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. You know, in this meta, not metaphorical, in this um hypothetical situation. And Vang kind of addresses the survivors in a way that, like, in some ways, he's sort of, like, asserting things that they need to do as they move forward, like, um, and I believe the fourth stanza, you get some instructions on things to concretely do, and then towards the end, it's sort of, like, a guide of living with yourself and living, emotionally. yeah, emotionally living, and how to kind of, like, cut off these parts of humanity that you gain you know living in the life we currently do versus living as a survivalist uh, one of my favorite lines is whenever he talks about what moves along the horizon like actually guiding the reader to look from left to right along the horizon and kind of training them already through the reading of mm -hmm. how to spot things with the gun mm -hmm. that was probably like the most clever part of this poem for me mm -hmm. with the exception of like the great enjambments mm -hmm. yeah and we'll talk about the enjambments more later just because they're so well done and yeah he uses a lot of very interesting just methods of forming poetry and using that as a means of storytelling in itself yeah and it's kind of like everything is being abandoned in addition to humanity mm -hmm. and just to kind of rewind a little bit i want to talk about how they prepped so there was the saving the books for the fire. There was turning off the sprinklers in the porch light. It was locking your doors and your windows, being trained to use a gun. And like you said, this was kind of a way that they shit off their humanity and just adjusted to this new way of life of not being comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think in a lot of ways, that sort of loss of humanity can kind of be mirrored to the zombies um, experience as well. And I think that an argument could be made that aspects of this poem can be read from the zombie's perspective as well. Um, so while it's a guide for survivors, it also holds aspects of what being a zombie might feel like, of like losing humanity and having to live only off of survival. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. That's something that I questioned 
for myself when I was reading the poem is what separates these survivors from the zombies besides the heartbeat? Mm -hmm. Because they're both now just living off of pure instinct. Mm -hmm. So what really is that autonomy worth whenever you're not getting to explore those great human attributes? Yeah, like what brings us unity. And something that can kind of segue us into our next talking point is leaving normalcy and losing a sense of what is, you know, normal. Like I know since the pandemic started, everyone's been like, meh, 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 the new normal. And that's become my like, mm. like I just punch up a little, t- a little bit every time I hear that. It's because it's like, no, <laughs> I will go to the mall without a mask someday <laughs> in the distant future. <laughs> but I think that like what sort of encapsulates a lot of um, zombie literature and zombie horror literature is that leaving of normalcy and that losing of some thing that you know you have always had and then there being this new thing that like your life is literally at stake over and yeah. that goes for like you said um that goes for the zombies and for the survivors as well because obviously like being a zombie you don't have a lot of choice in what you do and yeah. a lot of autonomy but as a survivor you're losing everything that's normal about your life too so So we see a lot of changes in normalcy in pop culture references to zombies. Mm -hmm. So like you said, in zombie literature, zombie movies, like one of my favorite movies that's actually also a book is Warm Bodies. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's a really weird take on a Romeo Juliet type situation. But what we really like about it is the fact that we get it from the zombies perspective mostly. Mm -hmm. And we get to hear kind of his... Um, voiceover and he sounds like a normal person he listens to Guns N' Roses Mm -hmm. and he falls in love with a human that's still alive and still have a heart beating and he does like eat people but he doesn't want to Mm -hmm. so we're able to kind of sympathize with him a little bit but he also has empathy for humans but he has to survive Mm -hmm. and it's not like Twilight I know they're not zombies, but like <laughs> yeah. this zombie couldn't be a vegan in <laughs> <And> Twilight Standards. <laughs> a word? I tried my best. <laughs> you did so good. Yeah, so I just thought that it was kind of a cool, because for zombie and warm bodies, it's kind of this middle place between being alive and being soulless because of that extra step that a zombie could go, mm-hmm. which is being only motivated by food. So as is characterized in a lot of zombie literature as well, and zombie, I don't know, pop culture references, mm-hmm. um, that leaving normalcy is sort of a through line, especially whenever it's like stories that start with the zombie apocalypse. Because um, there are some kind of like warm bodies that start like in the middle of it where both the zombies and survivors kind of have adjusted to this new normal. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of movies, there's that stark contrast of like, there's suddenly being a big change and everything's sort of going into suit with a zombie apocalypse (laughs) and that was rough. Say I think my favorite version of what you're talking about is actually a musical that destroyed me. Yeah. (laughs) Anna and the Apocalypse. (laughs) So my old roommate showed this movie to me because I loved musicals and because he's a Christmas fanatic Mm -hmm. and so I remember watching this and I was so into it and so excited but I forgot that it was a zombie movie. (laughs) And 
as we're going to cover, there are rules to zombie movies and you don't get attached. <laughs> I remember whenever I first saw this movie, Emily showed it to me along with our friends at like a group gathering and we were all really pumped too. And it was just such a somber movie <laughs> that by the end we were like, oh, right, this is a zombie movie. I can't have feelings for these people because, you know, zombies. Because yeah, <laughs> of course people die that we love mm -hmm. and Anna the main character who was just supposed to go to school and then go travel and then go to college eventually now she's just like she gets to do what she wants but it's kind of like a consequence instead of her being able to return back to a home because now she doesn't have home to return to mm -hmm. and of course I feel like this is reflected whenever we are first introduced to the zombie apocalypse in that musical, whenever she's singing, turning my life around, her life literally gets, turns upside down. The zombie apocalypse happens overnight and it's awful. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> um, as Will Smith said in the intro to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, our lives get flipped, switched, turned upside down. I feel like you could have picked a way better quote. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Nope. <laughs> Moving on. That's what I went with. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Zombieland, which is a comedy take on a zombie movie. And they're always on the run. They have no family, no home. And, of course, one of the great rules is finding pleasures in the little things, which would be the Twinkies for Tallahassee. And they also end up living on a compound. So instead of having the freedom to live outside and go wherever they want, they have to live in this one spot to keep the zombies out. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, ideally you wouldn't want to have the zombies in a compound, but I guess since there's so many zombies that you have to switch roles. Right, exactly, yeah. So a lot of these references to other zombie movies and zombie instances of pop culture and media um, kind of tie back to this idea that Burley Bang is exploring in this poem of kind of diverting from what is normal and what's been known to people their whole lives and what's, you know, cultivated through humanity and civilization and sort of breaking into like a primitive sense of survival. But, okay, stepping back from that a little bit, we want to talk some more about zombies in pop culture and as Emily mentioned earlier, zombie rules. And that's things that we kind of establish from just zombies and their place in our cultural understanding of what a zombie is. Um, Just imagine that we're in like the first Scream movie and we're <laughs> that really dorky guy that has a crush on Sydney that's like listing the horror movie rules. This is the rules for the zombie movies. Yes, we're Randy. We're Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Rule number one. <laughs> Don't get bitten. If you get bitten, you're done for. You might have to cut off a limb if it's in your bloodstream. It's not gonna happen immediately. And it's going to be very painful and slow to watch. That's usually it. <laughs> yeah. Duration differs between movies, but it's going to happen if you get bitten. Yeah. Um, number two, zombies like to eat brains. Which is weird. Like in Warm Bodies, whenever R ate brains, he got that person's memory, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But since we don't usually get the perspective from zombies, we don't know why they like to eat brains. Like, is that the most meaty part? I think that's not correct. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that like, there are like exceptions to this, obviously, within zombie media, mm -hmm. the zombie cinematic universe. But um, 
like some movies include just a thirst for blood others are specifically just into the brains um yeah and this also goes for zombie books as well I know we're talking about movies but a lot of these kind of dabble in both Mm -hmm. and of course we have rule number three make sure to kill them usually this is by shooting them in the head or in zombie land we like to double tap because I think whenever we think that a zombie's killed he always comes back we kind of like and scream when <laughs> Billy is shot and then the double tap and scream whenever Courtney Cox is like really cool and she shoots him beautiful no hesitation <laughs> cool and number four is debatable between zombie pieces of media and that sometimes they move slow other times they don't that I put that I felt like it was worth mentioning <laughs> I think kind of the most important rule is to know that there's no happy ending in a zombie movie Doop, doop. No such thing as a Hollywood ending. Love it. Thank you. Watch Anna and the Apocalypse. <laughs> Moving on. So a question that Allie brought up was, does Vang follow these rules? We don't really know. Yeah, because similar to our other poem that we covered, that was a horror poem, there are no zombies in this. So similar to Robert Hayden's UFO, there were no aliens. So since no theme here but (laughs) yeah but however Hayden's was more of a criticism on Victorian standards do we think that Vang is talking about something differently is this more focusing on the duality of humans and having these things that could be similar to zombies Mm -hmm. yeah I think so in a lot of ways Vang's writing in this piece is not necessarily about like zombies in action, eating brains, walking slow. And it's more about the people and the emotional state of the survivors. And if you read it that way as of the zombies as well, and it's about losing humanity and losing sense of things that were once like culturally important and being reduced just to staying alive. Um, I'm like, where are you going with that, my dude? Yeah, I definitely agree with your point. That was really great what you said. Thanks. So another thing that Burley Vang does in this story is he kind of breaks the formula of traditional zombie stories by looking into autonomy and motivations, and that's that's going for the survivor and the zombies as well. So whereas zombies are just kind of chilling like they don't really have a lot of motivation other than eating brains like they aren't specifically targeting anyone or anything like that or they don't have like moral compasses humans do still have autonomy I guess what do you think that's sort of saying about humanity and what do you think Vang is trying to get across with that I'm not sure because I'm thinking about what you just said and is it the speaker or usually the live people actually the predator and the zombies prey or is it vice versa because typically how it's portrayed is that the zombies are the predator and the survivors are kind of taking their power back Mm -hmm. and what I think Vang is going for in this story is kind of what I mentioned earlier is that there's not much that separates them besides the heartbeat Mm -hmm. whenever you don't take advantage of the human part. So I don't know if I necessarily agree that zombies are free from being the antagonists Mm -hmm. because they are hunting people. I mean, they're not like 
um, you know, you petty and plot against you, but they have to eat. Mm -hmm. And as humans usually do things to ensure that they survive, so are the zombies. Yeah. And not to say that like zombies are the protagonists by any means. Like, okay. That's what I thought you were saying. So, okay. no, not necessarily. Like, they are like in zombie stories, they're traditionally the antagonists. But um, when you look at what drives zombies in the survivors, it's both sort of whittled down to just surviving. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's like, are either of these people driven driven by strong motivators that would set them apart from one another? And I think that gets into something that is sort of mentioned in that line, in that I believe the first or second line, where it talks about light and rage and the du- the duality of human nature. So do you want to talk about that some? Yeah. So basically the line is believe the brain is a cage of light and rage. What I believe that line is saying is explaining the two sides of being human. However, whenever that light or that life is taken away, you only have that rage, that instinct, that I don't want to say selfish, but that very, I need to do what's good for me and my people. To kind of build off that a little bit, I wanted to mention another zombie story. It's my personal favorite zombie movie, Train to Busan. So in this movie, it follows a father who is with his daughter. And it's a lot about morality of survivors. And there are characters who are driven by selfish desires and others who are trying to find a balance between keeping like their personal family safe and keeping others safe as well. I feel like that kind of explores that duality of man as well. Because where you have characters who are more selfless or more willing to help or care about the passengers of the train more than others, um, there are characters who are like positioned directly to be antagonists and concrete human antagonists who are separate from the zombies because of motivation and because of agency that they're still encountering as humans. So I think that's a really good example of a zombie story that also sort of explores that duality and exploring what it means to be human and be alive and have agency and also be a good person while you're trying to survive. So what did you think of the last lines? Learn to kill what you love and love what can die. Chef's kiss. But also, (laughs) I think it kind of speaks to, like we said, what it means to be a zombie and a survivor. Like that line, learn to kill what you love. Is that the light? Yeah, I think so. And love what can die the rage. Mm -hmm. And something that I love about the love what can die is showing something very human because as a zombie, you can't really die unless something else is coming at you. Kind of like how jellyfish just kind of live forever until something kills them. Mm -hmm. So being able to die is something that's very human and gives you something to make your life have value versus being a zombie, your life is just for eating. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go ahead and go into the technical writing parts. So whenever I read the poem in the beginning, I'm sure a lot of y'all notice the pauses. And that's because this poem is written in tercets with the exception of the last two lines, which is a couplet. And there was a lot of enjambments, which is a poetic term, which is the line of a poem continues even after a line break. And it forces the reader to pause and take that line in. And often this gives kind of double meaning. So for example, the moon will shine for God, 
knows how long. The first meaning could have been it only exists for God, it exists for creation, Mm -hmm. but it's actually kind of going into a sarcastic feeling for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. And then we have the second enjambment that I noticed was save the books for fire in darkness enjambment. We learn to read what moves along the horizon. So it's talking about being able to read in the darkness, but also that this world is dark and we need fire to be able to see. And then we go into the third enjambment, which was the rustling of trash in the body enjammed of cities long emptied. So that kind of gives the duality of the body of the speaker or reader versus the body of the city. And then of course the last enjambment was to live and jam in a world of flesh and teeth. And before that to live, it was go on stiff in the heart, quick in the blood to live. So that works for that stanza because this is saying, hey, you have to get hard and have adrenaline and be alert, but you also need to live in a world of flesh and teeth. You must learn to kill. So it's serving two of the stanzas. Mm -hmm. So I really loved that. And I think that that added so much more to the story because we were able to take some of those lines in, absorb it, kind of get a little bit of a personality from the speaker, mm-hmm. and also kind of see Vang's purposeful word choices mm-hmm. and his ability to be economical with his word choices and to move the story along. Especially looking at the, those later enjambments, to live in a world of flesh, of flesh and teeth. I really like the point you made about just getting hard and like living off of that adrenaline of just staying alive. And I feel like that enjambment really nails that home. So one last thing that we wanted to look at as far as form goes is like you mentioned, the tercets and couplet. So throughout the poem, it's written in tercets. So that's three lines per stanza that goes on throughout the poem until the end where it's couplet. So that's two lines per stanza. Mm -hmm. And that last line ends on and loved what can die so what do you make of that so usually whenever I see a couplet that is by itself at the end of the poem I typically think of sonnets and sonnets utilize the couplet to kind of drive a point home and so I feel like this could be taken a couple different ways where this is either driving the point home of what you love and love what can die like that's your means of survival to live in a zombie apocalypse. You have to be able to survive and be able to turn off the humanity. Or it could be an example of being able to leave behind that third line and be able to kill that pattern and adapt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that could be a little bit of a reach, but it was a thoughtful choice to make that two lines. So that's either answering the title or it's answering the poem and adapting and killing that third line. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Excuse me. <laughs> you must be getting your master's in poetry or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> cool. Well, imagery. <laughs> How would you rate this poem on a scale of one to five burning books? Oh, God. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> So I would probably give this a 4.5. And the reason really? why, okay. <laughs> That's your highest rating so far. <laughs> I know. And it's because it's really 
scary to think about living in a zombie apocalypse. But what this does is really balance that good and evil. It's really psychological on us kind of guessing who's speaking, the zombie or the speaker being a survivor and kind of that back and forth. I mean, I think there's an obvious speaker that's a survivor, but the fact that it can kind of flip-flop and also just kind of questioning humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's in the form of a zombie apocalypse. So I think that's scary, thinking that I could be a survivor, but still not living to my fullest. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's a quote that I actually heard on Law and Order, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually from a famous person that's like something about hunting monsters. Don't hunt monsters for too long lest you become one. Something like that. That was on Criminal Minds, and I remember it. But no, it was all, (laughs) Stabler said it on Law & Order SVU, don't fight me. It's fine. (laughs) But yeah, I think even though this isn't like monster scary, this is psychological scary. Mm -hmm. At least for me, allegory. On a scale of one to five (laughs) soulless houses, what do you rate this poem? I would rate it a 3.5. And because... I mean, okay, I identify as someone who would not last in zombie apocalypse like that long at all. I have very limited survival skills, so I think I would be out skis pretty quick. But the scariest part of this poem is, like you said, the loss of humanity and the idea of everything that I'm like working towards in my life right now not mattering and being kind of obsolete whenever it comes to just getting through day by day. I don't know, maybe I should have gone to learning how to build a fire school instead of writing school. We can go camping sometimes. It's okay. (laughs) The world needs art. It does. Yeah, no, it does. And it's so important for a civilization to have art and have things that make us human Mm -hmm. and keep us together and keep us knowledgeable about where we come from and where we're going. So I value that so much. And I guess that's why the idea of it not mattering is so scary because it's something I value so much. Maybe I rated a four because (laughs) I talked myself into it. (laughs) You slowly develop more dread (laughs) as the night goes on. (laughs) That's something I think about sometimes because it's just a scary thought to think, you know, everything I care about, if things go real south, and I have to learn how to build a fire and <laughs> run really fast. I'm a really slow runner too, so. Well, that's sobering. Our next story, which will be posted on March 7th, is Dead Smile by Frances Marion Crawford. Yeah, and if you'd like to stay updated on our happenings in the time between then and now, you can follow us on Instagram at Books Are Scary. And if you want to send us any emails, you know, about books that you would recommend or stories that you want us to cover, then you can email us at booksarescary at gmail.com. And don't forget, zombies are scary. But burning books for practicality and not using them for pleasure is terrible. (laughs) Bye. Bye.